Good morning, church. My name is Marco Doni, and this is my wife, Joanna, and little Matteo. You might have seen him running around. This morning, we light the second Advent candle, the candle of peace. God has promised to bring us the priest of peace, and we await his birth during this season of Advent. Our scriptures passages come from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and you may follow along your own Bibles or look to the screen. During our Advent season, the scripture passage will be read in a language other than English to illustrate the, uh, the whole world's longing for Christ. This morning, the scripture will be read in Italian by an Italian. <laughs> Perché un bambino è nato per noi. Ci è stato dato un figlio. Sulle sue spalle è il potere. E il suo nome sarà Consigliere Mirabile, Dio Potente, Padre per sempre, Principe della Pace. Grande sarà il suo potere e la pace non avrà fine. Sul trono di Davide e sul suo regno, che egli viene a consolidare e rafforzare con il diritto e la giustizia, ora e per sempre. Questo farà lo zero del Signore degli eserciti. La parola del Signore. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We call upon you today to abide with us. Draw near during the chaotic, heavy, and often overwhelming times of life, where worry about the future, money, and security weigh on us. Fill us with the truth that you are sufficient and will provide for us. Help us to trust in your peace, a peace that comes through relationship with your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Monica Finnerfrock is our storyteller today. And I'd like to introduce her as someone who um, I really appreciate when she comes into a room, the way she engages the situation, the person right away. She brings a lot of energy, depth of feeling, lots of thoughtfulness behind her words and her actions. So here's Monica. Good morning. My name is Monica, and my family's been attending Evergreen for about three years now. Some of you might have heard me share about a year ago about our transition um, back to the States after living in China for 10 years. Um, and some of you might have heard my husband Jake share just a few weeks ago as well. Um, I've been attending Bible studies here at Evergreen, and about a year ago I shared the story with a group of ladies that I'm going to share now. It just so happened the storyteller coordinators were there and have been asking me to share this story. So today is the day. Um, so as if our family hasn't lived in enough random places, we also uh, lived in Wales, the UK. And we were there for about three months while Jake was working on his PhD studies at the University of Wales in Bangor. So um, during that time, the kids and I had the blessing of kind of touring around the northern Wales countryside while he was in uh, the office working on his research. We had the opportunity to visit some castles, and um, this is Bumaras Castle. And we also went to some cool beaches, as well as some incredibly beautiful enchanted forests. And I say enchanted because I do believe fairies are real, and that they live in Wales. They live right there. 
Um, anyway, about two months into our time there, uh, one of the fellows from Jake's program offered to take us to Chester, England for the day and kind of give us a tour around the city. Uh, Jake couldn't go, of course, because he was being a dedicated student working hard on his uh, PhD and had no time for fun, but the kids and I, of course, could go. And so our guide, Sean, informed me that he had also invited another student that was in the program, and her name was Jean. I had met her just a few weeks earlier and was really excited that she was coming along. Um, mainly because she was also from China and um, was working along the same lines with her research as Jake. And so they had kind of bonded and having experienced what it was like working in rural China and doing educational research. So I was happy to hear that Jean was coming. So off we went to Chester uh, to walk the, way, the ancient Roman fortress walls of the old city. Our guide, Sean, was an expert on the city of Chester, so it was a nonstop history lesson. We looked at some beautiful Roman gardens, through some paper airplanes, probably forbidden to do that, but anyway, looked at some beautiful canals and Tudor-style buildings. After a while, we found ourselves in front of one of the most incredible cathedrals that I had ever seen. It's called Chester Cathedral, and it's an incredibly unique architectural treasure. It has ancient abbeys, various gardens, and worship halls, but they're all inside, and so you walk in and you go through these beautiful stone archways into um, hidden gardens and um, just really neat passages that have uh, stained glass windows all along the side of them. So um, we began walking down one of the passages uh, lined with stained glass windows and they were depicting various saints and Bible characters when Jean stopped at one of the windows and was kind of staring at it curiously. So it was a gorgeous um, set of series of, or a series of stained glass windows depicting the Easter story um, you can see it there. And she was particularly taken with Jesus on the cross. She turned to me in broken English and asked, um, it says Good Friday, why is that good? It does not look good. Um, and my son Creed replied, and he's like, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And she just kind of looked at me blankly and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'd be interested in hearing about this person called Jesus. I've never, I'm not familiar with this story. So I asked her if she would like me to share it with her, and um, she said yes, she did. And so we went and found the panel showing um, the stained glass panel of the, the creation. And I began to share with her the story of creation to Christ using the stained glass window panels. <clears throat> so Creed was kind of prodding me along. The kids were following along. We were taking a lot of time at each panel um, doing the story. And you know, we worked our way through the Bible, talked about Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel and Esther and Mary and John the Baptist, and ended back up at um, the crucifixion. So meanwhile, our guide, Sean, was following along, and a couple times Creed would back-translate for me, letting Sean know what I was saying, because I was, I was sharing the story in Chinese. Um, when we were talking about the birth of Jesus and the life of Christ um, ending, resulting in his resurrection, Jean was really paying attention closely with a lot of intensity, and she expressed that in her whole life she had never heard the story before, she knew nothing of the Bible, she had maybe heard like this thing called Christianity, but wasn't familiar with it at all. But this was no surprise to me after living in certain parts of Asia where when you talk about these matters of faith, it's a completely new um, idea. So after we walked through these beautiful passages, we ended up in this garden somewhere in the middle of the cathedral. I 
wouldn't really know exactly where to tell you it was, if it was the middle or the side, but it was in, inside the main cathedral. And um, this fountain was in the center, and it completely captured my heart. I knew immediately it was the woman at the well with Jesus, and then at the bottom was the inscription of John um, 4.14. And um, I was really taken aback and just touched by the way that the sculpture was done with Jesus and the woman connected so intimately and his hands and in hers with the, the water. So Jean looked at me and she's like, okay, this must be some other story you haven't told me about. So I shared the story of the woman in the well with her and the verse that says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So I kind of paused, and then I shared more about how that story specifically had transformed my own life. And we just kind of spent some time staring at the sculpture together. After a while, she just sort of sighed with tears in her eyes and said, this is really something. Like, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling strongly about it. I really want this living water, and I want to understand more. So I let her kind of wander around the garden, and the kids were playing in the garden, and I just sat down on a bench, and it struck me that the centuries-old stained-glass pictures we just looked at were not intended for decoration originally, but for the benefit of the illiterate. People could see and hear the word in a time before most could read, and yet, on May 3rd, 2016, the stained-glass windows were brought to life, and the fountain too, and touched the heart of a woman who had never heard the story before. Even more striking to me was the fact that Jean's heart for minority children in her homeland was for them to become literate in their own language. That's the same work that Jake and I had been doing. We were used to living among oral peoples where the passing on of information was done in story form, not in written, written transmission. So what was planned as a touristy day for Jean, the kids, and I turned into a deeply meaningful day full of spiritual conversations. Throughout the rest of the day, we talked about Jesus and his work but the story isn't quite over. Remember that guy who was our tour guide? Well, a few days later, Jake came home from campus with some interesting news. He shared that our guide, Sean, had found Jake in the office to have a little chat. Turns out Sean was an ordained minister from the Church of England and pastored, had pastored a Welsh-speaking church in Chester for several years until he had a crisis of faith and fell into despair. I had no idea that I was sharing the story with a Welsh-speaking pastor. <laughs> he said he'd been struggling for years and feeling hopeless in his relationship with Christ. As he opened up to Jake, he began to cry and shared that hearing the kids and I tell Jean the story of Jesus just days before had pierced his heart and that he had gone home that night, got down on his knees, and prayed a prayer of renewed faith and trust in Jesus. He had overwhelming peace he hadn't experienced in years. We were gobsmacked. Does anybody know what that means? Shocked in British English. Not only had I shared the Jesus story with a woman who got to hear it for the first time ever, but also to an ordained minister who had fallen out of sorts with church life and ministry. I could have never imagined how, that, how deeply that day would impact all of us. So during this Advent season, I share this story in the hope that it will inspire you and me to seize every opportunity to be salt and light in this world for those who haven't heard and for those who have, the disenchanted and the disengaged. Don't take for granted the sights, the sounds, even the props of Christmas. It's so easy to notice the beauty or pleasure in something without going deeper to know the one who is behind it all. Why do we get so nervous 
when we have creation and the evidence of his good, his good works to guide conversation and bring light into someone's dark day. We don't have to travel far from home to share, and we don't even have to plan an encounter. It's about just being present and available, which is not always easy, especially this time of year. So who is God putting in your life to share hope with? Consider what stained glass windows God wants you to reveal to others this month and moving forward. Trust that God will give you the words to say and a heart to listen. And if you're wondering about Sean, well, he's doing great and graduated right alongside Jake last summer. And Jean, we got her a Bible, and she started going to a church on the university campus before graduating and eventually returned to her home country. We keep in touch, and I am encouraged by the messages I receive from her. I trust that she is in God's hands, has drunk freely from the living water, and that we will meet again one day. Thank you for listening to my story. Well, welcome again to church, the second Sunday of Advent, and you've been hearing a lot about peace. That's our theme this morning in our scripture. And I couldn't really talk about peace without explaining the word shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. And its meaning is much fuller, more robust than what we think of as just the word peace. Shalom is translated into peace over 200 times in the Bible. And it's more than cessation of hostility or an absence of conflict. It's about being whole or sound. It speaks of completeness, well-being, welfare, and peace. So in short, shalom means holistic health for our souls. Well, this is the more complete definition, and so this is what we need to think about as we're hearing about peace as we go in our message today. So what is peace? Is peace a place? Think about a place that you go to in your mind when you think, ah, I just feel so peaceful there. There's a place that we go to once a year, we go to Lake Cachise in the fall. We've been doing that for 38 years now. We take a little picnic, and we go in the fall because the campgrounds are closed, and so there aren't any people there, and the fall color has changed, and we kind of hike in and set up camp there, as you can see, for the afternoon, and it is ah, the most peaceful place. You could hear a pin drop up there. So when I think of a peaceful place, that's what I think of. However... I'd like to experience peace more than one day a year, so that really can't be all of peace for me, right? What about a circumstance? We hear a lot about peace here at Christmas time, right? Peace on earth, it's supposed to be a peaceful time. However, to me, Christmas can be a very unpeaceful time. All of the activities and expectations can be overwhelming and actually take us away from experiencing the peace that we're supposed to experience. At this moment in my house, I do have my tree up, but there is nothing on it, and there are boxes everywhere of all of my decorations. I haven't done any shopping, and I haven't done any baking. If you come to my house right now, you will not experience peace, I can tell you that. Well, how do you get peace? Hmm, did you know peace comes in a can? Peace tea. Have you ever seen this before? No. Well, let's see if it tastes like peace. I found this at a mini mart. 
Oh, I feel really peaceful now. This works. You guys just need to get this. Well, I guess you could get a can, but then what happens when it's empty? Then what about my peace? That didn't last long. And technology, that was supposed to give us peace. How'd that work out? It's done anything but that. We are available 24-7 and we are addicted to getting information whenever we want. And a study came out last week that showed that the life expectancy in our country has dropped. We are having more suicides and overdoses than ever before. And it's caused the age, age expectancy in our country to drop. So all of our medical advances cannot address the lack of peace that we are all experiencing. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't have all the answers to this. I myself am struggling with this concept of peace right now. It didn't really occur to me until I started working on this message that I realized, oh, I am kind of having a problem with that. Now, I'm sharing that with you because you need to know I'm not in this place of saying, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it, and it all works perfectly. I'm struggling with it, too. It's kind of elusive to me, and my guess is it is for many of you, too, at this time of year. Well, in our scripture today, the prophet Isaiah tells of a promise of a Messiah, a Savior that will be coming in the future, that ended up being about 700 years in the future of this writing. He describes a child who will reign forever with unending peace. Isaiah tells us that his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, to name something in the ancient world was to designate its true essence. When we read the name Adam, we know that the root word Adama means that Adam is a man from the ground or dust. That is his true essence. And in the end, that essence will prevail. So the last title of Jesus' name here, Prince of Peace, means that is Jesus' very essence. He doesn't just give it, he is it. And he has the authority over it. That means real peace or shalom can only come from him. No one else, no other thing can offer us peace that will transcend our human experience. So as you sit here this morning in this seemingly peaceful sanctuary, are you at peace? The kind of peace that is shalom peace. Life doesn't always leave a lot of room for peace, does it? A quote from Henry Nouwen says, peace is not primarily about doing. It is first of all, the art of being. Now part of my own struggle with peace is that I am much more comfortable doing. Being, just being feels rather unproductive to me. I would rather do than be. But peace is all about being. It's about being at peace with God. It's about being at peace with ourselves, having inner peace. And it's about being at peace with others. So how can we be at peace or shalom with God? Romans tells us, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, 
we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So being at peace with God is the very foundation of true, lasting peace. Without peace with God, you can't have peace anywhere else or with anyone else in your life. Without it, whatever peace we have is momentary and dependent on outside or worldly circumstances. Being at peace with God is all about relationship, not works, not about doing. Being made right is different than doing what is right. There's a direct correlation between righteousness and peace. We are made right or righteous not by what we have done, by this verse tells us, but our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. This is a peace we cannot forge on our own. It can only be given by the Prince of Peace as an act of God's grace for us. There are no amount of good deeds or works that are going to give us peace with God. You can volunteer at every food bank. You can stuff all of the Salvation Army kettle bins. You can feed the homeless. But that's not going to take the place of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Being comes before doing. If we're only doing, then the peace that we get from that, it will not last. Now, if we have peace with God, then the next step is now we are able to have peace with ourselves. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Perfect peace sounds really good to me. Peace with God is not static. It moves us forward as we recognize our worth in him. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God's own son was given for us. He came to earth. That is what we are celebrating now. And how many of us would give up our child for other people? My guess is not many, and certainly it wouldn't be me. You see, God's love for us goes way beyond what we can humanly receive. And so our peace with ourselves comes from the security of knowing that God has saved us and always, always has our best interest at heart. He is trustworthy when our circumstances seem really out of control. The peace we have in Christ is otherworldly. It is beyond this place. And so we can have inner peace because we know we are a child of God. Now, Jesus tells us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You see, the kind of peace Jesus gives surpasses all understanding that we could have. It's not a product of self-help techniques. It's not a product of all those books on inner peace, and there are thousands of them. I kind of did a little search just for a few minutes and was amazed. They might be helpful for a while, but as one commentator said, the possession of this deep, unbroken peace does not depend on the absence of conflict, on distraction, trouble, or sorrow, but on the presence of God. If we are in touch with him, then we are, our troubled days may be calm, and beneath all the surface of tumult, 
there may be a center of rest, rest for our souls. That sounds like true shalom. Peace with God allows us to have peace within ourselves, which then leads to having peace with others. Romans tells us if it is possible as far as it depends on you, and that is the key phrase here, live at peace with everyone. Now, the difficulty with this one, though, is that Jesus may have changed our hearts, but he might not have changed everybody else's. So peace can be difficult and maybe even impossible with some people. I think that this aspect of peace is what the world will judge Christians by. If we can't be at peace with each other, then all of our words about God's love and forgiveness and grace, they're just going to fall on deaf ears. This verse makes it clear that peace is always the priority, never our personal agendas. If I'm having trouble being at peace with someone, then I need to ask myself the question, am I really at peace with God? Am I really at peace with myself? I can tell you that 100% of the time that I have an issue with another person, it points to me having an issue with God or myself. Now, I'm not saying that peace means that we are in agreement. It doesn't mean letting bad behavior go. I disagree with a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that we cannot experience shalom. Shalom meaning that you want the best for the other person. Remember, the verse says, as far as it depends on you, not the other person and how they will respond. I had a situation a few years ago with my dad with this kind of peace. My dad was an alcoholic, and I came to a point with the help of a counselor that I needed to talk to him about that. I needed to confront him on that. I love my dad, but there was this elephant in the room where we could not have that complete peace. It was impossible. So I asked my siblings if they would like to come join me in talking to my dad, and there was a resounding, no thank you. So I did it on my own. I prayed and wrote out what I was going to say and went over to my dad's house when I knew mom wasn't there so that we could be alone. This was one of the hardest things I have ever done in my life. My heart is just racing thinking about it. However, I was at complete peace about it. I told him that I loved him and I cared about him. I said that if he got hurt or he hurt somebody else because of his drinking, that I could never forgive myself, that I needed to speak up and put it out there. And I also said that I didn't want him driving my kids in the car because I didn't want to be worrying about that. He listened and he said, thank you for coming to me. He was very quiet about it, and we hugged, and I left. Whew. Even though this was so uncomfortable, we were able to experience shalom, true peace with each other. Now, if I didn't have peace with God and myself, I could never have done that. Because, you see, 
there would have been too much to risk. I would have been worried how he was going to react. I would have made up all kinds of things. Well, once I say it, what if he gets mad or he doesn't, we get in a fight or, I didn't care, it was worth the risk because I knew what I was doing was in God's will and I had that confidence. How many of you have heard of the passing of the peace? Oh my, okay. The passing of the peace is something that a lot of liturgical churches do, and churches used to do a long time ago. But it's a really great practice, and I'm going to explain it to you a little bit, because I think it's something that we all could gain from. So passing of the peace has become actually a time of greeting for us, right? We turn around and we greet each other, and that's kind of what it has morphed into. But in the Anglican churches or the high churches, the passing of the peace comes immediately after a time of corporate confession. The whole congregation corporately confesses their sin to God. Then the priest stands and declares God's word of forgiveness over the congregation. The community then has peace with God. But what about each other? This is where passing the peace comes in. After the priest declares God's act of forgiveness, he or she says, the peace of the Lord always be with you, to which the congregation responds, and also with you. Having made peace with God, the congregation is now instructed to reconcile with each other before taking communion. The passing of the peace is not a nicety or a passive moment. It's actually a bold act of declaring our reconciliation with God. Now, that isn't easy. Healing wounds, hurts, and broken relationships, like I was addressing with my dad, it's a really difficult task. But it was the task of the cross. And each time we make peace with each other, we point to that triumph of love. Not only are we reconciled to God, but we've been reconciled now to each other as a family of God. Peace doesn't come easily, and it certainly doesn't just happen. President Hoover stated that peace is not made in the council table or by treaties, but in the hearts of men and women. How many of you recognize this iconic photo? Just a couple of you. First service, there weren't many either. Well, this photo is from World War I on Christmas, 1914. I'm going to read to you a brief article that was written last year in the Washington Post titled, The Christmas Truce Miracle. Here it starts. On a frosty starlit night, a miracle took place. In 1914, a melody drifted over the darkness of no man's land. First, O holy night, then God save the king. Peeking over their trenches for what must have been the first time in weeks, British soldiers were surprised to see Christmas trees lit with candles on their parapets of the enemy's trenches. Then a shout, you no shoot, we no shoot. The Christmas truce was a brief, spontaneous ceasefire that spread up and down the western front of the first year of World War I. It's also a symbol of peace on earth and goodwill toward humans, so often lacking not just on the battlefront, but in our everyday lives. If you go online, there is a lot about this truce. 
And there are a lot of letters that have been archived from soldiers who wrote back home about their experience. I'm going to share two with you. The first letter. I dare say you will be surprised at me writing a letter on such paper as this, but you will be more surprised when I tell you that it contained cake given to me of our men by a German officer on Christmas Day, and I was given some of it. We were able to bury our dead, some of whom had been lying there for six weeks or more. We are still on speaking terms with them so that we have not fired a shot at them up until now, December 29th, and neither have they, so that the snipers on each side have had a rest. Second letter. Really, you would hardly have thought we were at war. Here we were, enemy talking to enemy. They, like ourselves, with mothers, with sweethearts, with wives welcoming, waiting to have them come home, and to think within a few hours we shall be firing at each other again. Now, this was not real peace because it didn't last. It was a short time. But it does speak to the deep desire of our need for peace, even in the middle of war. So where are you on the peace scale today? Are you a one, a 10, a five? Are you in a place of wholeness, completeness, and well-being right now? Do you have peace with God because you know the Prince of Peace? And do you have inner peace? And where do you look for inner peace? If you want a can of it, I can get it for you. It's in Snoqualmie. But my guess is you want something more. Are you secure in your identity as a child of God? Your focus determines your peace. Remember how the verse said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Are your thoughts fixed on the Prince of Peace? This world cannot give you the peace that you need in this life. I've made the mistake many times of thinking a person, a place, a bank account, good health would give me peace. But it just doesn't last. Is there someone you need to pass the peace to? Someone you need to be reconciled to? You know, you can't give what you don't have. So not only are we to receive the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, but we are to give it too. Wouldn't it be great if someone came up to you and said, how can you have such peace in your situation? That would be a great question to have the opportunity to answer. Well, this season gives us opportunities to display peace that comes from the authority of peace, the child that was born to us. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men and women with whom he is pleased. If we are to be people of peace, our daily lives have to be marked with this peace. Choosing the peace of Christ comes in the most normal and simple moments of a day. 
very common ways we can pass the peace. But it points to an extraordinary power of the gospel, the story of God reconciling his people to himself and with each other. When you make peace with someone, you are telling that story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the peace that you offer us, peace that goes beyond any circumstance, any person, any place, anything this world has to offer. God, in the season of peace that you intended, help us to receive it so that we can give it. And God, I'm praying right now that any unpeaceful situation that we are experiencing, we would give over to you today so that we can experience your peace that surpasses all human understanding as you have intended for us to experience. Thank you, Prince of Peace. In your name we pray, amen.